Today I'm talking to Dr. Mike, where we're covering memes, snacks, COVID, and how he's ended up in the fitness industry. Right, hello, Dr. Mike, how are you? Thank you for joining me on this fine Thursday evening. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me. I feel very privileged. That's right. I've only been stood up twice so far, so third time lucky, they say, hey. One was one of those by me. Yeah, both were by you. Both. Didn't bother getting back to me. Then today, I know it's terrible. I don't. I. I said before. I'm pretty sure that it's COVID affecting my cognitive abilities because I spent. I. Oh yeah. Anyway, I've explained it. I won't. I won't keep digging my apology hole. But basically, I have been a very bad person at getting getting back to messages, um, right. and I apologise. That's right. I'm only pulling your leg. I'm only pulling your leg. It's good to have you on. And again, thanks for spending your Thursday evening with me. So I appreciate that. So obviously I sort of know you, I was going to say I sort of know you from the fitness industry because obviously the last few years I've known who you are. You've been in that scope. But then for anyone listening to this, can you just sort of give us a very quick recap of where you've got to in your professional career and why you're sort of potentially known in the fitness industry as well as your own sort of professional background. Sure. Like I don't really think I'm known anywhere, but I will tell you what I've been doing. So I am a GP. So I work full time as a GP partner and I also work as a GP trainer and a GP training program director, which means that I'm heavily involved in the local GP training scheme, like training, training junior doctors up to be GPs. Um, and outside of that, I have worked with the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. Um, and the reason for that has sort of came about through my own experience from having been, I would say, pretty inactive, overweight, etc., growing up. And then going through a sort of a journey of lifestyle change and getting into fitness and strength training and eating, etc. I mean, I was always into eating, unfortunately, but um, getting into understanding a bit more about eating and, and wanting to explore and learn more about that. So I started to try and learn a bit more about nutrition and exercise and all that stuff, um, which led to the BSLM stuff. And I think I, I've very much used social media as a huge accountability tool um, on that in that process and 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 by doing that i made a lot of friends in fitness because i was following a lot of fitnessy types um and my my kind of go-to with social media is to you know be mates with everyone so it, it that sort of happened and yeah i just ended up doing i really like writing and i really like talking um so i've ended up just starting writing articles and um speaking about stuff um, so I guess that might be where people may have seen some things. Yeah, and I suppose like obviously you're in the health profession, so a personal trainer to a certain extent. So I suppose it's a massive tie-in that people would potentially come to you and listen to what you've got to say because as a, f- a fitness professional from a personal training point of view, they have only got a certain scope of practice. So. You know, I, when I used to be a personal trainer many years ago, anyone that even had a cold, I'd be like, no, go and see a GP. You know, like, I don't want to touch you because I don't want to help you to get worse. I want you to get better. Therefore, you need to go and speak to the person across the road who knows exactly what you're talking about. So it does marry in hand in hand very well, like your profession and the fitness profession. Um, but like you said, you've been through your own transformation yourself, haven't you? So is that why you've taken more of an interest in it than maybe some other GPs? Oh yeah, for sure. Because basically by doing that, it kind of highlighted to me how little I knew, you know, like we, in general practice, we often give people what we call lifestyle advice. Um, but that lifestyle advice often involves you know, advising people that they need to make some changes, but not necessarily advising them how to make those changes or actually getting involved in it. Um, And I suppose what it taught me, particularly from a nutritional point of view, is how little we know about nutrition in in the medical profession um, by default. 
Um, and so that sort of inspired me to want to learn a little bit more about it. And it's still like, it's still too difficult for me to fully understand it. And that's why I sort of take my hat off to, you know, a lot of the people who have studied nutrition and dietetics and, you know, I guess it's very easy when you don't know much about something to think you know about it because you don't realize what you don't know. And I think that's always been a big um, sort of part of my ethos, I suppose, is trying to figure out what you don't know is, is more important than trying to learn what to know in, in many ways, because I think you can do a lot more, a lot more damage to people with what you think you know than with what you you know, you actually know if that, if that makes sense. And, and I think if you realize that, like you say, you know, practicing safely as a PT, if somebody was unwell saying, oh, you need to go and see a GP, unfortunately, it doesn't always work with everybody. A lot of people will quite happily give advice because they think that they know about it. And, and you know, I think, I imagine we've all been there to some degree in the past, but I know that even there, there have been times when I've given out dietary advice that that now I would look back and say, well, that was, you know, that wasn't the right thing to say, or it wasn't the right way to say it, or, you know, this, that, or the other, but it's very easy to have um, a little bit of knowledge and think that you're an expert on something. And I think we see a lot of that in uh, social media and beyond. Oh yes, for sure. And that's the thing. And like you said, if I could probably hold my hands up, if I could, if I could sort of think back probably longer than a couple of weeks ago when I personally trained many years ago I struggle remembering last week sometimes but I'm sure people have come to me and said oh, I've got a slightly bad back do you think I'll be all right to train and obviously as a personal trainer especially when you're a new personal trainer you think well I could say no and then I might not see you for a few weeks and lose out on money or shall I say yeah you'll be all right and like charge you for that session so I think you know, it is good. You should be sending people to doctors, specialists, physios, osteopaths, etc. If it's out of your scope of practice. But like I said, does everyone do it? Possibly not. Or like you just sort of hinted at there, they may go on social media and find some idiot giving an opinion. And then they'll come back and go, oh, I've, I've seen so-and-so on social media. They've said it's absolutely fine. It's like, oh, great. Yeah. The thing is, it's hard to get the right balance. And I don't know that we always get it. Like something that I always find, well, not odd, because every every sort of organisation has its rules. But it's stuff like I will get a call from a, a patient who needs me to sign something to say that they're allowed to use the gym because their blood pressure's high. And I'm like, but we're always telling you to exercise more because that will improve your blood pressure. So why, why are you then being sent to your GP to say you're not allowed to exercise because your blood pressure is high? Well, that's exactly why you should be exercising. And I get it because, you know, I would rather it's that way around than the other way around. But I think that there are a lot of situations and I'm not, obviously if someone's blood pressure is dangerously high, dangerously high then of course they need advice from a medical professional anyway. But I think that because we live in a world now where Every, everybody is becoming a little bit frightened of, of, you know, getting in trouble for X, Y, or Z or going against protocol that everything is so protocol driven that people are, are often being discouraged from actually thinking things through and, and, and actually making decisions. So there's a lot of, we can't do that unless X, Y, or Z. Um, and I think that often we end up almost being too scared. And, and, and I think we do people a disservice sometimes when we're, you know, and, and I've, I've sort of seen this even like with my own coaching. I had a shoulder injury previously. And what was interesting about some coaching that I've had recently was that I found that my coach was a lot more comfortable sort of pushing the limits of what you know what I was able able to do with my injury because he was sort of kind of of the opinion that I was potentially by allowing my shoulder to get weaker and weaker and not training it properly I was going to make it worse but it's a difficult decision for somebody to make because obviously you would rather let someone not make gains in the gym than cause them an injury or be accused of causing them an injury. And I think people 
you know, we, 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 we sometimes wrap ourselves in cotton wool a little bit too much. I mean, I'm as guilty as that, of that as anyone. Like if something hurts a bit, I'm like, no, I can't train today. Um, it's too dangerous. Um, but actually some of your um, Instagram stories where you're moaning about your personal trainer yeah I mean I I moan about many things um, even the things that that I like um, but yeah it's, it's 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 interesting like when we talk about things like you know fragility and, and anti-fragility and actually trying to get stronger and stuff like that it does involve a certain amount of pain and discomfort which is kind of at odds with what we uh, what we are sort of allowing ourselves to, to aim for I guess uh, definitely and the sort of key thing for me that you said there because I think I've said it about five times this week to various different people and I think it's even appeared on at least one social media post is by not putting your knowledge out there you are doing your audience a disservice mm-hmm. and so many as you can imagine like being a course provider so many people when they're first starting they sort of say oh yeah but you know I haven't got any followers so no one's going to want to listen to me or but I'm new to the industry, so why would anyone listen to my knowledge? I'm like, well, your knowledge is pretty much the same as everyone else's because you've all learned from a similar textbook. And by putting it out there, you're helping people. Oh, yeah, but no one wants to listen to me. But then I'll just say exactly what you just said. By not putting it out there, you are doing a disservice. Like, people are turning up on a daily basis, weekly basis, coming to the gym when we can to get advice from you. And by sort of brushing your hands of them going, sorry I've only just qualified or sorry I'm not sure on that it's they're going to turn around and go to someone that will give it to them and they'll give them bad information wrong information just because you've not sort of wanted to like you said put yourself out there and almost because it's what's wrong you know the worst case scenario your personal trainer for example right today we're going to try a shoulder injury we're going to do it really really light any discomfort we'll stop 10 reps later mm, it's all right I'll try another 10 10 reps later yeah okay I think I can carry on worst case scenario first second third rep no that's too sore okay stop we'll do something else yeah it's, it's not like you've got you know you're not going to get sued for doing an exercise or giving an exercise a bit of an advice that backfires slightly and if you're like me I'd flip in go and research do additional reading on whatever it may be to try and give a slightly better solution not out of your scope of practice obviously but something that can help them even further. But like you said, it's, it's just, I think people have got that mental block of, well, oh, I don't want to put stuff out there because everyone's talking about that. Mm. And it's difficult right. because I guess that, that knowledge comes with experience as well. Like once you've trained sort of 50 or 100 people who've had shoulder injuries and realised that actually, you know, you know what, what exercises, you know, you can do very gently without causing them discomfort. And if you do, you can stop, etc. It just, I guess it just, it takes time. I think confidence, you know, when you think about the Dunning-Kruger curve and all of that kind of stuff and, and, and the difference between sort of confidence and competence, it's a really difficult one. And I certainly like within medicine, I think I've always been quite fascinated by it because I've always, I've always practiced very tentatively. I like to have a lot of experience before I feel comfortable making decisions. And I remember, you know, when I was a junior doctor, I would often um not criticized but a lot you know a lot of the feedback I would get would be that I would think things through and I'd make a decision but I would not feel comfortable to implement that decision until I discussed it with like a supervisor or whatever um and I was like well duh of course like that's kind of this is what I'm I don't feel confident in it yet because I'm new like and it's it's really it's really interesting that everybody has that different set point at which they feel comfortable making decisions. And I think that the, for me, the point at which I knew I was okay to make my own decisions was when I started disagreeing with the people who were telling me what to do. Um, And I, I, I think that then when you, when you start to realize that you feel strongly that what you think needs to be done is the right thing to do, you realize that you're starting to build your confidence and that it's okay to kind of start to implement it. And the problem is, is that's not going to be the case for everybody because some people are just overconfident, but I guess you have to, I think having the awareness of where you are with your confidence, having an awareness of whether you're likely to be overconfident or underconfident will more than likely help you pitch what you should do about your knowledge. So if you, if you know you're a little bit overconfident, 
and you feel mildly confident about something, then chances are you should probably double check it's an okay thing to do. But if you know you're underconfident and you feel really strongly that something is the right thing to do, then you're probably right because you wouldn't be feeling confident about it. But you're not going to know the difference unless you understand your own way of working. Like if you if you if you were just way off the mark with your own self and you think you're really underconfident, but actually you're a bit arrogant and a bit overconfident, then you're going to get that wrong. Yeah. Do you think like when you're sort of saying about confidence there, I remember when I was new into the industry, I remember the very first person that wanted some personal training with me. I had a blank diary and I sort of <clears throat> completely blagging it again with the confidence. I was looking at a blank diary in my head thinking, please book in because I haven't got a single client. But I was sort of giving him the impression, oh, I'm not sure if I can fit you into Wednesday. So my confidence I can sort of talk to anyone about anything, but from a GP's point of view, are you, or have you been in the past, or do you think sort of doctors are very confident in their delivery? Because I know I shouldn't really sort of judge on this, but when you see some of the things on TV, like GPs behind closed doors and all stuff like that, and you see some of the people you have to deal with on a daily basis that are so overpowering, is there a sort of, you know, do you have to sort of raise your confidence levels to sort of like battle some of these people? No, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily about confidence levels. I think it's more about communication skills. And I think different people will always need to be communicated with in a different way. Um, and I guess, like, I think that's often why some people gravitate towards some GPs and some people gravitate towards others. And that's why I encourage encourage people that if you if you think you just don't get on with your GP then chances are you should probably be seeing somebody else because you know we all have our own way of doing things and our own ways of communicating with people and like for example I like to be very very open and honest when I don't know something I don't I don't like to give the appearance of being like you know all knowledgeable about something if I'm not so if somebody and, and, and part of the reason for that is because I do feel confident about my level of knowledge so if somebody comes to see me about something and I don't know what it is, then I know that it's okay that I don't know what it is because if it was something that I should know, I'd know it. Um, so I kind of feel like if someone comes in with something that I don't know, I don't have any qualms of saying, do you know what, I'm gonna have to look this up because I've got no idea what this is. Um, and I can talk about what, you know, I can say, look, I, you know, I can't think of any medical, uh, something I often say to people if, if it's something a bit perplexing is like, uh, I can't think of any medical conditions off the top of my head that would cause the symptoms that you're describing, which is reassuring because likelihood is if that there was a medical condition to cause that, I would know about it. So this is hopefully a good sign, but let me look into it and, and you know, find out a bit more about it. I don't like the idea of you know, pretending that I know what I'm talking about while I'm secretly on Google looking it up. I, th I think I think that, and different people will respond very differently to that. Some people think it's horrifying that a doctor might Google something. I just think it's normal. Like, you know, if you just rely on what's in your head all the time, you're going to make mistakes. But if you recognize that, okay, I know the treatment for this, but I also know that I haven't seen anybody with this for maybe two years. So I better just double check that nothing's changed in that time without me realizing about it because it's not a condition that I've treated particularly often. I think that should be encouraging to people rather than worrying to them, but you can't always predict how people will respond to that sort of, you know, to that sort of stuff. If somebody's particularly anxious about, about their medical condition and you've not necessarily picked up on that, then the last thing that you would that they need to see is somebody who doesn't know what the answer is yeah. so you know in some ways it would be more beneficial to them if you didn't demonstrate it but there's there's different ways of doing things for different people and i think it's that's that's just that's just kind of the way it is um but i i kind of think if you try and fake confidence it normally misfires in my experience yeah like i said i suppose you've got to the way you just described it there is the way you sort of say look and hold your hands up last time i knew this was the cause or last time i knew this was the outcome but you know why are you here let's just quickly have a look and yeah. 
you know, again, I think they're going to respect you a little bit more for that, aren't they? When I've, um, since the age of, how old was I, 14, I started getting migraines. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is, I'm 40 now. So I've had them for a fair while. And I remember every time I used to go back and get new tablets, they were like, oh, these brand new tablets have come out. And I was always so weary of taking like this brand new tablet. It's probably like the vaccine now, isn't it? It's like, oh, I don't want to be one of the first testers of that. But I remember like <laughs> these tablets once, and that's probably like sort of late teens, early twenties, if that. They were there was four tablets in this like really swanky looking plastic like clip open, and she like slid them across the table. She said, "These are brand new from America." And I remember sliding them back, and it's like, I don't want them if they're brand new. Can you please just give me some normal tablets? But like I said, this, you know, they're not going to sort of suggest anything that they don't know what it does, hopefully. Don't correct me on that if that's hopefully. the case with these tablets. <laughs> I wonder why I've got a, a weird uh, head ever since. Um, <laughs> but, it's, but like I said, it's, it's just sort of having the trust in someone that's got more knowledge than you, isn't it? And, and again, going back to the sort of the disservice type thing, it's is trusting in that person and trusting your own knowledge that you do have that knowledge to be putting out there to people and that people can trust you and again just like someone walking into a gym that's not been there for a number of years in their life they've got that confidence in that trainer someone walking into your um gp practice um to have that confidence that you are are there to help them and if you can't help them you're going to find the right person that can so I want to talk to you, getting a little bit less serious now. You're a big fan of memes, and you're a big fan of rating snacks on your Instagram. Yes. Obviously, with the current situation that you found yourself in recently, which I do want to touch on, if that's right with you in a second. Of course. So we might have to jump back a few weeks. What's yeah. your go-to snacks at the moment? And on your Dr. Mike scale, where are we at? Do you know what, like I, my, the one thing that I'm going back to almost every day is ice gems. I love a packet of ice gems. It's less than, it's like 90 calories for a pack of ice gems. And it's essentially a packet of biscuits and they are wonderful. Um, I'm enjoying the, I've still got a couple of limited edition saurines left over from Halloween, but they're few and far between now. Um, but it, it, I tend to go for ice cream. I mean, there's all I, I like a I like a variety of snacks. That's why I kind of like the hundred calorie mark for snacks because then I can have multiple different snacks rather than just having one, you know, Magnum or whatever. So I'm, a, I'm a bit of a pig. I must admit, I, I'm going to blame lockdown, but I think I've sort of I've become addicted to Coke Zero, which isn't as bad, I suppose. But it's just sort of like just that sugary sort of taste. I know there's no sugar in it apparently, or zero zero sugar apparently. It's got to be some other dodgy stuff in there. But um, it's sort of got that sweet taste. And like I said, it's I swear it's lockdown. It's just sort of being stuck at home. I just feel like I need a sugar rush most yeah. of But I think one of the best ones that you put on your stories, I'm a massive fan of Biscoff. I have Biscoff in my oats. And yeah. then I can't remember the Biscoff ice cream or the Biscoff biscuits that you put on your story. I think I put both. Okay, fine. Whichever, whichever one you put on first, I didn't even know they existed. I didn't really sort of oh, okay. imagine it outside of the spread. I know you can get the little biscuits that you get with a, t- a cup of coffee, but I'm talking about the filled cream biscuits. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as I saw them, all the ice creams, whichever it was first, I was straight to Tesco, searching everywhere for them. So that was a, a very good find. So I there's do something appreciate. there's something very special in those biscuits. There's, I don't know how they do it, but I remember discovering that I I discovered those biscuits like probably not the ones that you're talking about. I mean the original Biscoff biscuits. I discovered them like as a generic brand, and they were just called caramelized biscuits. Mm. Probably about like 15 years ago, and they were just phenomenal. And I ate so many of them. And then obviously, like you go on holiday, you get them with the coffee and all that kind of stuff. And then I just thought it was bizarre that they invented this spread that's basically a bit like someone's chewed up all the biscuits for you already. And I thought that it, I kind of was a bit grossed out by it and a bit like, I'm not really sure if I'm okay with this because it just seems so weird. And then I ate it and I was like, no, I'm okay with it. 
It is good. And the, the crunchy one's just as good. Sometimes, especially when you do an online shop and you yeah. see that this stuff's been missed off and you're like, oh my God, you're joking. But then they send you the crunchy one and you're like, it's an added bonus. Yeah, I agree. So with regards to your memes, like you do love a meme. I love a meme. You've got a few sort of meme Monday style battles with a couple of people. So how have these memes come around and what is the purpose? Is it purely for getting people through difficult times or is it just for your own enjoyment? I just think memes are really funny. And I also think that memes are like a new type of sense of humour. Like they're a totally different way of making people laugh that didn't exist several years ago. And I just think that's so interesting. Like, I just think it's hilarious because it's just, it just is so funny, but also a bit weird. And like, if you were, you know, if you had never seen a meme before, you'd be like, I, I don't get it, but they're just so funny. I just, I just think they're hilarious. Like how, and, and I think that, I have such a high level of respect for how people actually make a meme, like the level of inspiration it takes to just take this random picture of something that's completely irrelevant to anything and like pair it with like a, a few words that just put it into a context that makes it so funny. Um, and I'm so jealous of people who, who like actually like I want to know who made who originally made that incredible joke and they never get credit for them because like they just get shared around so much nobody ever really knows where they came from you can't really credit people and it's just this magical mystery of excellence if you ever create one yourself you should always put your app Instagram yeah name, just in case it does go viral and then you're yeah like and I have actually created a few myself but I also know that they're not good enough to go viral. So I have never done that. Ah, that's not good. But it's, like you said, with like the people that create them, especially when something happens in the world or on TV, and then within two seconds, one of your mates has sent you a meme to do with it. And you're like, who creates these things? And they're shared around the world so quick. It's happened on the news now. And I've already yeah. got like, it in my inbox. It's amazing. The mind boggles about the, uh, the origina origination, that's the wrong word, where memes come from. Yeah, I think that's the right word. Let's say it is. Oh, it's, it's, it's half eight on a Thursday night. We can say what we want. Exactly. So with your own podcast with Emma and Dan, how has that come around? Um, well, I actually, years ago, one of the first sort of fitnessy things that I did was I did a, um, a before you've probably heard of MNU, the nutrition course. Yeah. I, before that existed, um, they used to do like a, um, a mentorship weekend and that was how they would do sort of, you know, initial education on nutrition. So I went to one of those and at that I met Dan Osman, um, and we kept in touch and, you know, carried on following each other on social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, and would meet up at sort of various events. And Dan sort of approached me with this idea of doing a podcast. And I was a bit like, why, why would you want to do a podcast with me? Like about fitness? What am, you know, what am I going to say about And I, I, at the time, was, was relatively dismissive of it because I was like, I don't really... I'd never had any like I've I'd never had any ideas of doing a podcast or wanted to do a podcast or anything like that. But I also really like to explore ideas, and so I was like, actually, like this, you know, it could be really fun to do. I was really like, really touched that Dan would like even suggest me for it. So, you know, that was probably enough to get me on board. And so we were sort of talking about it, and we were like, what should we call it? And you know, trying to decide what to do about this, and then. We also like, so I, I knew Emma through, you know, through mutual friends, um, but not sort of super well, but followed each other on social media and stuff. And she asked me to do an Instagram live with her. She was doing a series of Instagram lives like every night with different people. And so I was like, yeah, cool. So we'd arranged this Insta live and she was just chatting to Dan and mentioned that she was doing these Insta lives and mentioned who she was doing them with. And 
um, Dan said, oh, I'm doing a podcast with Mike. We're going to start up a, a podcast. And she was like, oh, like, cool. Do you fancy a third member? And Dan messaged me about it and was like, Emma's just suggested joining the podcast. And I was like, why does Emma want to be on our podcast? Like, that's amazing. Awesome. You know, like, we really excited about it. And it was, it was funny because kind of looking back, I think that that, that was sort of, that was the piece of the puzzle that was missing because it was sort of, it was a few months I think that Dan and I were talking backwards and forwards about doing it and we ha- we just weren't quite getting around to do it and we literally had got to the point where we were like look let's just jump on a call and record it and see what happens and see if it's any good and we'd book this day like in the diary to do it and then it was like three days before that that Emma made this suggestion so it was great and we just it just you know kicked off from there and it was fun. Yeah. How long have you been doing it now? Uh, just over two years. I think, it, yeah, literally two years, November. It was Our first episode was something like the 1st of November, I think, in 2018. That's really good. And obviously you had the Fitness Unfiltered live um, yes. day, didn't you? Which was very good. And you had some very good speakers on there, which you've had as guests previously and since, haven't you, as well? So, no, it's really good. And um, yeah. like I said, all of you have got various different opinions but you seem to get on well if that makes sense like you're not sort of you're not all in agreement with each other but you don't disagree if that makes sense yeah and we like to get people on who we don't agree with because we've always thought that was more valuable i mean the, the, our ethos for the podcast was always about having balanced discussions and representing you know both sides of the story when discussing things because like invariably social media can often become this big like club of you know, everyone who's on one side agrees with each other and they're all mates and they make fun of the other people who don't agree with them, who are all mates with each other. And it's just, you know, it it gets a bit tiresome really, because actually, you know, if you play devil's advocate and you actually go, well, hang on a minute, why are these people, why do they love a low carb diet so much? You know, why do some people love it? and, And why do you think it's nonsense? Why do you like flexible dieting and that person wants to be paleo? Why don't we explore that and actually figure out what the merits and the disadvantages are to try and help empower people to make their own decisions? Because there's obviously not one answer to everything for everybody. And I think, you know, obviously we're not going to highlight points of view that are, you know, dangerous or damaging or, or unscientific. But there's a lot of nuance to things. And, and, and actually, you know, when I look back at my own lifestyle journey, some of, the, some of the most beneficial things that I was told were absolute nonsense. You know, like I remember a time when I believed that your metabolism was like a fire. And if you didn't put enough wood on the fire, you, your metabolism would slow down. If you put too much wood on the fire, something would go wrong with your metabolism as well. So I believed when I started dieting that I not only had to be like, I had to have a calorie limit. I believed I had to hit the calorie limit. And so if I was 200 calories under at the end of the day, I'd eat an extra 200 calories, which we all know now is nonsense. However, what that managed to achieve was incredible for me because the reasons that I'd always failed at dieting in the past was because my method of dieting would would be to eat as little as is humanly possible. So I would end up practically starving all day or eating just salad and, and nonsense. And then I'd get to the end of the day or maybe two or three days in and be like, forget this. I don't want to do this anymore. It's not worth it. I hate it. Bring me some cake. Or, you know, you'd end up just just overeating loads because you just, you were so fed up of being hungry. And so what this achieved was that I was not hungry. I was constantly eating plenty of food while staying underneath my calorie limit. And so it was like this incredible feeling of like, I didn't feel like I was on a diet because this was nothing like any other diet that I'd done before. And so actually that was a, a really useful piece of misinformation for me and didn't cause me any harm and didn't cause me any danger so I think sometimes we have to think through you know just laughing at people for believing stuff that isn't true isn't very helpful and I think we're a bit guilty of that sometimes and we're just like oh so and so thinks that you should do x y or z and let's all call them out on our 
Insta stories and high five each other for knowing more than them about nutrition when actually it's not really what we should be doing. Um, so I, I just think that there's, there's a lot more to it when you look at things from all angles. And that was really what we wanted to achieve with the podcast is to, to look at things from all angles. No, definitely. And that's, and that obviously does come across, like I said, and it's, it's nice that it's refreshing and it's not just another podcast getting loads of people on that, like I said, their mates have got the same opinion yeah. and then they sit there moaning about a certain subject because they think they know everything about it. So, you know, it's, it's nice from that point of view. I didn't realize it'd be going that long, to be honest. I'll have to, um, I'll have to track back and listen to yes. the original ones. Don't listen to the first few. I, I don't recommend those. No, that's, that's like mine. It's, like I said, just before I push record, and as anyone listened to this or previous ones so far, there's a horrible echo in my office. So I'm sort of trying to figure out where I should sit, and I'm going to start, I'm going to look like I'm a nutter. I'm going to sort of pad the walls, I think, just so I don't have any sort of... Well, our, our first episode... We just recorded on our phones. We, oh, really? we had a group call and we recorded it. So like, the quality was shocking. But again, it's just one of those things that we often hear about in the fitness industry as well, is that you know, done is better than perfect. And actually, if you procrastinate until you've got it perfect, you're never gonna do anything. And, and, and I'm so glad that we put out that first episode because it's what got the ball rolling and, and, and people enjoying it. But, yeah, when I when I suggest that people listen to the podcast, I also suggest that they perhaps skip through to a few episodes in. Start on episode five. Anyone that's listening yeah. to Fitness and Field, episode five is officially the first one. Exactly. <laughs> so if you don't mind me asking, you've been a bit unwell. Is it okay to talk about that? Is it sort of something it have you had enough of talking about it? If you do, we'll swiftly move on. But no, I'm fine to talk about it. It's um I mean it like it it sounds very dramatic when you put it like that. I had COVID like so many people have. It was a bit rubbish. Um and I, it was like the reason that I wanted to talk to talk about it, not just because obviously like it's a relevant topic at the moment, but the reason that I wanted to talk about it on social media is that I kind of, people seem very divided on how they feel about it. And there seems to be this very extreme sort of argument between people who want to obey all the rules and are worried about it and, you know, are essentially just, you know, doing as they're told and doing their best to to listen to the the sort of supposedly um, expert advice and all of that kind of stuff. And then you've got this sort of other end where people are just denying that it exists or thinking that it's some kind of conspiracy theory, um, which is so like the word pandemic that I keep seeing on social media and and just thinking but what do you mean? Like, what is the plan to destroy the economy? Like who benefits from that? To destroy people's lives? Who benefits from that? You know, like, and, and it, it blows my mind that they can see like actual heads of state, celebrities, the, you know, the people who are supposedly behind these plans getting sick and being admitted to hospital. I just doesn't like, why would you, if you were going to invent a disease, why would you invent one that you could get? Like, it doesn't really make sense anyway. So I think that it's just been very divisive and, and, and a lot of people are very much like, and I get this because I think it's not nice to feel anxious. It's not nice to feel worried. So a lot of people are like, I'm not worried about COVID. I'm young. I'm fit. I'm healthy. I'll be fine. Um, and I think that that's quite a selfish way of looking at things and it's good. It's a positive way of looking at it. You, you shouldn't live in fear of, of something that you may have no control over, but at the same time, what I wanted to highlight was the fact that I had a physically relatively mild form of the disease. And even though it was, it was mild, it still caused me to have over a week off work, which is something that has never happened to me in my whole life. I've never had, you know, I've probably had one or two sick days in my whole career, 
you know, from like a gastroenteritis or whatever, but I've never touched wood, um, been, you know, I've never needed a, a, that sort of period of time off work. And so it already was, it, it affected me more than any other illness. It wasn't very pleasant. I would not recommend it to anybody, but also the, the kind of the follow on impact of me getting it. And then the people who had had contact with me was phenomenal. Like I calculated something like 136 days worth of isolation. So, you know, 136 days of people being absent from school or work or being stuck in their houses because I'd been in contact with them um, is pretty rubbish. And people have lives and it's not very nice to, to have to sit in a house for 10 days or 14 days and you know we've seen how upset people are because they can't go to the gym or because they can't go to shops or restaurants that they like and I get that but I think that what people are underestimating a little bit is is how upset you would be if you not only can't go to the gym but you literally can't go outside your house um it's a bit rubbish yeah and that's the thing you know I'm it's sad that you've got to sort of be careful what you say about it because if you've got an opinion one way or the other people are going to be like you said oh you've said this about covid and you agree with the government and all this sort of thing so again you you see a lot of people on social media shouting about it but they tend to be the ones like you said the sort of conspiracy theorists and the the sort of the, the negative voices in my I opinion think, the loudest ones yeah and i just think people just like in honesty, something that I've sort of concluded is that I think people like to be contrary on social media. They like to complain about things, but they don't. And I think that you can, the trap that you can fall into when you watch social media is you can, you can think, you know, you can, sometimes I was watching social media and thinking, oh my God, like there's going to be some sort of mutinous revolution because all of these people are really angry. But actually in reality, there's not that many people that are actually angry enough to do anything. They're angry enough to shout about it on social media. And that, and, and I think what I, something that I found a bit frustrating is that, you know, like a lot of people were, were breaking laws, opening gyms and all that kind of stuff. And I get, I get the disagreement. I get people wanting to go to the gym. I get people wanting to keep their gyms open. I get that, you know, the decisions themselves were not, were being, questioned in terms of it wasn't necessarily people being selfish and just wanting to break the law like you know when people steal or whatever so it's a different type of 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 law breaking for sure but it's breaking the law nonetheless and i think that what i found a bit selfish about it all was all of the people who were egging everyone on to keep their gyms open and to you know to stand up against things when they're not the ones that are going to get fined £67,000 and potentially end up in prison because of these laws that they're breaking. And I think that, like, I think it's, it, it sort of made me feel really sad watching, you know, there, like, there was that video of, um, of one of the gyms that, that stayed open and there was a video of, of somebody basically being arrested by the police. And when the police said that they were being arrested, they responded with what was obviously like a scripted couple of sentences about common law and consent and all of that kind of stuff that clearly they'd been told by people through stuff like social media. And there was just that moment where the policeman was like, that doesn't that doesn't matter i'm arresting you and they you could almost note that moment where they just realized that it wasn't going to work and it was really sad like i take absolutely no you know no pleasure at all in watching something like that happen i think i think it's so awful but i felt like in many ways some of those people had made those decisions because they'd been convinced that that they wouldn't come to, you know that, that it wouldn't cause them problems because they had this special defense and it was just really sad to see and i think it's i think i think that a lot of people find it too easy to 
um, to encourage people to do things that are going to cause consequences to those people that you, that the people encouraging them to do it will get no consequences for. It's terrible yeah. grammar, but anyway. Sorry, I, I know what you meant. But, but like I said, it is, in short, it is people jumping on the bandwagon and whether, again, it's, it's, hard, it's horrible to sort of say, but some people have done little stunts like that for their beliefs, for their, you know, to literally save their life and their business. But then you see other people, like you said, potentially the ones that are sharing it or the ones that are shouting about it, and they're purely doing it to jump on the bandwagon for likes, shares, followers. And, and you just sort of think like, you know, you've, like you said, you're sitting behind a laptop, you're sitting behind your phone, getting involved in this in argument that's over here with no intention of physically, like real life, drawing yourself into it, just so some of your posts get shared. And it's like, you're doing it for like, you know, sort of credibility, but then it's, but then they're probably the first ones to turn around afterwards when people turn on these gym owners and go, oh, you know, they should have shut ages ago. The same people that were egging them on, like, oh yeah, what an idiot. It's like, hold on, last week you were talking about this. You know, before you were all for Black Lives Matter, then you were marching in London, then you're sticking up for gyms. And it's just, but I think now it just highlights it because people are shouting so much about stuff. I'm sure you've seen the same. You sort of, they've almost like waving a red flag because you know, whatever the next thing is, you know for a fact that they're going to pipe up and then it's like i've just lost all respect for you because i can see from a distance all you're doing is creating drama but you, you're creating it in too many different places now it's just like i've had enough yeah and i, I think that's the, the unfortunate disadvantage of social media is that that bandwagons exist and so it makes it very difficult for people because i think that the nature of social media is that in order to be successful at it you need to get likes and shares and follows so it's very easy to assume that everything that anybody does is for likes and shares and follows and on some fundamental level it is always going to be for that um, and I think that then what gets what gets frustrating is you can't tell people's intentions necessarily from a social media post you can only really tell people's intentions from knowing them and I think there are people with the most wonderful intentions who constantly get accused of just posting for attention or posting for bandwagon jumping and all of that kind of stuff too. Um, and I think it, it makes it really difficult for people because then often, you know, they, there have been lots of times where I've wanted to talk about certain things on social media and have thought, I I just know that if I talk about that, it's just going to look like I'm doing it because that's what everyone's talking about at the moment. So I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, and, and I think that, you know, in some ways, the reason that the bandwagons are there often, because I've, I've seen sort of that, you know, is it, it, can be quite, it can be quite negative to make those assumptions as well. So I think it just is really difficult to to figure out what people want from social media. And that's like, and that's why I guess you can only really judge people on their actions, but then that leads to all sorts of misunderstandings as well. And I think actually we've, we've sort of got into this, into this level of, of judgment now on social media, whereby people's intentions don't even matter anymore. So if somebody does a, if somebody posts something that's a little bit insensitive or just misses the mark or doesn't read the room or, or, or upsets some people and then they get a backlash for it and then they go, I'm really sorry that I did that actually. I realized that wasn't the right thing to do and um, I regret doing it and it's not, it's not really what I'm about, but you know, I'm, I'm it was it obviously was I, I made a mistake in putting that out that way people are still really angry with them and won't forgive them because they're like no too late you did it and I, I just think that that's also not great but there we go no. lots of, there's lots of there's lots of difficulties I think one of the great examples of that was Ant Middleton at the beginning of um, at the beginning of COVID, he put out this video that was like, "I'm still going to hug everyone and 
I'm not going to let this affect me and, and stuff. And I remember watching that video thinking, oh my God, like the damage that you could be potentially doing with this one video. And a load of people commented on it and said this, and he took it down and put a new video up and said, I'm really sorry that I posted that. What I was trying to get across was not that people shouldn't care about it, but that people shouldn't be scared. I don't want people to live in fear. Of course, you should be following the rules, of course, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, we will never know whether he did that because he was pressured by his PR team or whether he realized he was wrong or, you know, this, that or the other. And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I just remember watching that apology video and thinking, okay, then cool. Like, people make mistakes. The end. But I don't see that people often think that. I think people often... They love to drag it out. They love to just go, oh, can't believe you did that and keep saying it. And I don't like that. Yeah, and the thing is, like, on that note, it's if you're easily offended, then you should stay off social media because... Well, there's that too, yeah. You know, that, that video that he posted, for example, if that was video five of five and you didn't see all the other contexts and then he posted that, you know, that's when people might sort of jump in and go, oh, you know, outrage, outrage, outrage. But then, not in this instance, obviously, but if they've only caught one snippet of it, they're going to sort of completely misread the whole situation, aren't they? But Exactly. That's social media. That's the world that we live is. in. Right, Dr. Mike, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. Um, Thanks for having me. I'm going to ask you if you can direct people if they want to find out more about you where's the best way to send you or send them even to you um at dr mike the second dot com no that's not the right word is it at dr mike the second on instagram there is dr mike the second dot com but there's not really anything there apart from my mailing list um which is just me talking nonsense once a week um and yeah that's about it really Dr. Mike the second on all the social media anyway. Perfect. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and I'll definitely send people your way. And again, thank you very much for your time this evening and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for having me.